Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New Bandcast to get you going here as we roll into another week. Drancer, uh, two morning shows in. You're doing some radio this week. Uh, how are you holding up? I'm doing all right. I dropped a Kaepernick take on the radio today, though, which resulted in the inbox filling up with angry, angry text messages. Uh, people saying that I really crossed the line by uh, indicating that I thought the NFL teams had been complicit in, in white supremacy by leaving a clearly capable starting caliber quarterback unsigned over a four-year span. Look, that's that that take shouldn't even be hot at this point. But uh, yeah, got, got a lot of abuse in the text message inbox the rest of the show, which was a little unnerving for me. Usually I'm focused like a laser on Canucks Minutia when I am f- a fill-in host. Uh, dipped my toe into some unfamiliar waters for me, albeit important ones, and took the brunt of it uh, with a variety of abusive (laughs) feedback from listeners uh, that lasted throughout the rest of the show. So it goes. Well, I tell you what then, I'll make this pledge to you and to the listeners now. I will hold your gloved hand on Friday morning as we uh, bring the VanCast. <laughs> we bring the VanCast to the airwaves. Uh, you and I have hosted the pod for uh, the better part of a year now. Uh, we're getting a chance to do this, and and I've had you on radio shows as a guest, but I don't think we've ever had the chance to sit down and actually co-host a show. And we're going to do that on Friday, and that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be the VanCast live. I'm excited. Well, that's good. It's going to be I fun. Hope- Keep those levels up. Two more days of mornings for you. I, I'm, I'm a little worried. I was worried here on the pod that uh, I might find a little interval where you're starting to, to nod off a little bit, uh, you know, because you, you, you texted me late last night and I was surprised. 
and I responded to your text, and then I said, go to bed, because I was thinking <laughs> of going to bed, and I didn't even have a show to get up for, and you were uh, on, you know, the 6 a.m. Uh, lights on, the red lights on, away you go, so I was a little surprised to see you were still up and texting at uh, an advanced hour last night. I think I'm just excited to have somewhere to go when I wake up in the mornings, J-Pat, so that's powering me through here. I don't even need caffeine, albeit, you know, I, I couldn't find a coffee, because... I couldn't find a coffee before the show on Monday. Uh, I went to like three or four places, but everyone's on reduced hours. So I literally could not buy a cup of coffee at 5.20 in the morning on Monday in downtown Vancouver. And I walk in to the show and A-Dog, the producer's there. And I'm just like, A-Dog, do you guys have coffee? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, do you have paper cups? And he's like, we have mugs. I'm like, I'm not using mugs in a pandemic. Like, I can't even do the show. It's a disaster. And he's like, uh. <laughs> so Clutch found me some paper cups. And I shortly apologized to A-Dog. I said, when I don't have caffeine in the morning, boy, I'm like Ryan Kessler. Uh, <laughs> resting bitch face and all. Can't even function without it. So once I got my coffee in, I'm set. Well, this is good. It sounds like you've got your caffeine jolt. You're up and running now, and uh, oh, yeah. away we go. Uh, and, and look, you've been busy. Uh, a couple of uh, good reads this week already on expansion. And, you know, is it a touch early for the Vancouver Canucks to be thinking about protected lists for the expansion draft? Yeah, because we don't know what their roster is ultimately going to look like and who is going to have to be protected. But damn, it is not too early to start using expansion Seattle as a backdrop for every decision that the Vancouver Canucks make from this point moving forward, whether it's signing in the offseason, whether it's trades. Uh, you know, the time is ticking. I mean, it'll be around this time. We don't have a date yet. But Vegas had its expansion draft tied into the awards in Vegas in sort of that third week of June. So it'll be sometime around this time next year, I would imagine, although we don't know what next year's schedule is ultimately going to, to look like yet. But, you know, give or take, we're a year away from expansion Seattle uh, starting to pluck players. And so uh, it was, uh, you know, good read. You've done some fascinating research. I think you've come up with a couple of interesting angles that I want to explore uh, on the podcast here in a sec. But just before we do that, and this is a Canuck podcast, so we won't go too deep, but, you know, as much as the debates still rage in this market, even though games aren't being played, about this, the current state of the Vancouver Canucks, another reminder that it, it can always be worse. Oh, it can always be worse. Just look at the, the situation in <laughs> Buffalo this morning. Oh, oh, tire fire. Just a tire fire. Like, yeah. here, here, look, it's easy to point to the Skinner contract and say that is a crazy deal. We all said it at the time. Uh, that deal is a deal where oftentimes, like there is a language to contracts, Right. There's an unspoken language where you can read between the lines. And oftentimes, the story that it tells is a story of accommodation, negotiation, capitulation between two sides. Oftentimes, for example, a team will pay a little bit more up front in order to keep the term down, for example. Or it's a contract that, because it's a second contract, is structured in such a way where, you know, the team pays more up front in order to keep the cap hit lower for a player's UFA years, and on and on. Variety of different iterations. Reacting to that is sort of, you know, a bread and butter move for me in analyzing and breaking down when a contract is signed, like the news. 
when you look at the Jeff Skinner contract, it's like, I don't get what the team got. Like, I get why the player would sign this. I don't get where the team got anything of value. Like, it's max term. It's as much money as a player like Skinner would could possibly get, even coming off of 40, a 40-goal 40 season. Uh, there's nothing beneficial about the structure. There's complete no trade protection and on and on. Like, it is as bad a deal as a player can sign an unrestricted free agent player to. So, you know, that's the mark on, on Botterill, I guess. But when you look at the body of work over three seasons, I mean, he inherited a complete dumpster fire of a team, right? Like, Tim Murray gambled on tanking, did it in an unclassy way, right? Like, did it in a way that offended fans in Buffalo. Like, did it in in the sort of way that leaves a mushroom cloud hanging over a team's uh, a franchise and an and a team's culture for years to come. And in comes Botterill, and he's got no defense to work with. You know, Rasmus Ristolainen. I mean, they held on to him too long. Like the 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 secret is out that that guy can't play defense despite being a big physical player with a tremendous shot. Like, you know, the, the defense. When you look at what he did in terms of bringing in Yokoharju and Colin Miller, a guy who had great underlying numbers but just can't figure it out as a top four guy. Uh, Brandon Montour, I like Montour a fair bit as a player. Uh, you know, you look at some of the upgrades, I think they've had some strong drafts. Like, I don't think Botterill did a bad job. I think Botterill's a smart guy. But that team is just so far away for reasons that are baffling. And, and that have to come from the top because when you consider the Pagula era now, which began with that disastrous summer in which they signed Ville Leno and Christian Erhoff and gave Tyler Myers that mega extension. I mean, just some terrible contract work. Uh, trace it through the Tim Murray era, the, you know, the end of the Darcy Regeer era into what happened with Botterill and the way he's departed and promoting Kevin Adams. I mean, it stinks like it looks awful it's a you know you can see the clouds rising the smoke rising from the absolute tire fire that franchise has become and it's awful because you know i consider buffalo to be the eighth canadian market like the buffalo fan base is tremendous that arena is fun to visit i think their game presentation some of the best in the league you know one of my absolute favorite places to watch hockey and you know very passionate fans. I, I really hope that there's better days ahead for them because the last decade plus has just been as depressing as anything you'll find anywhere in the league, you know, including places like Arizona, Florida, uh, you know, even the last five years in Vancouver can't hold a candle to what Buffalo Sabres fans have been been through here. Right, which is you know really remarkable when you think of what's going on here in Vancouver in four straight seasons without playoffs and and look, the Canucks and the Sabres have been linked since day one as expansion cousins and, you know, Stanley Cup finals, but no cup yet. And, uh, like, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, and it's been bad here in Vancouver for the last bunch of years. But when you lay it out the way you did there, uh, as I said off the top, like, it can always be worse. It can be way worse. You know, the crazy thing is I was looking back this morning, you know, seven straight years of a top eight pick in the draft. Like, by this point, even yeah. as bad as it's been, they should have found their way out of the wilderness. You know, they had the first overall pick with Rasmus Dahlin, and he looks like he's going to be the player that they hoped. Obviously, Jack Eichel isn't Connor McDavid, but Jack Eichel's a hell of a hockey player. I, I think, 
you know, to bring this back to Canuck terms, where, I mean, all the hair that could be pulled out over Ole Levy instead of Matthew Kachuk in Vancouver, you know, they went Sam Reinhardt and Leon Dreisaitl went third overall. And you just think now, like McDavid and Dreisaitl, it could be Eichel and Dreisaitl, and they're probably not in the boat that they're in, but they took Reinhardt with that second overall pick, and then the following year, they got Eichel with the second overall pick. So in those you know, seven years where they've had a top eight pick and they've had other first rounders as well. There've been a couple of years where they've had multiple first rounders, but they've picked first overall once and second overall twice. And here they are uh, right back to square one, chasing their tail. And as you said, uh, all of it smoldering and yeah. uh, who knows, who knows where it goes from here. Well, you know, and I think about things like you trade Ryan O'Reilly, who was needed to move, right? Like wasn't mm-hmm. happy there. And, you know, they got a poo-poo platter, realistically. But you, you trade a Vander Kane. I mean, like, these are good players. Like, really yeah. good players. And they just sort of filter through Buffalo and uh, don't perform well there as a team. Like, it's like, it almost doesn't matter how good you are when you go through Buffalo for whatever reason at, on the team level. They just can't get it done. And it, it's mind-boggling. But there seems to be something else going on and you know when you've gone through three gms now and you know how many coaches phil housley uh ted nolan um you know <laughs> certainly uh oh my goodness who was the lindy ruff you know now ralph Kruger who struggled in his first season there i mean at some point you've gone through stars you've gone through different coaches you've gone through different general managers like at what point is it just like okay you know, this is an ownership group that's getting in their own way and, and doesn't know how to win. Um, surely we're long past that at this point in Buffalo. Like, you know, they've had success with the Bills. The Bills seem to be on the upswing. But there's something going on with that ownership group when it comes to the hockey team. Uh, you know, our colleague Tim Graham at The Athletics done some incredible reporting on the cultural malaise of that organization, not on the hockey side, but on the business side. And boy, does it just sound like a sewer of a situation. And, and, you know, I just hope that Buffalo fans uh, are able, you know, and and that the Canucks' expansion cousins have some brighter days ahead. Right. And just to complete the list there, uh, Ron Ralston had a chance. Dan Bilesma obviously had a run. Oh, wow. Dan Bilesma. Damn. Right. I mean, so all of this, just the dysfunction there. And you're right. it, It starts with the ownership. And so... Look, they've tried with the last two general managers to give a guy, an up-and-comer, an opportunity. That hasn't worked. Like, at some point, you know, fine, whatever. You make your decision on Botterill today. Take a step back. It's Nobody's playing games right now. The Sabres certainly aren't going to be playing games for a while. Take your time. And just to hand the reins to yet another uh, first-timer without general manager experience, like that makes no sense to me. But And he doesn't have an interim tag. No, that's what I mean. They gave like him he's a the full, job. Yeah. He's got the keys, yes. And then they're like, oh, well, he's been training for this since he was an assistant coach. And, you know, he's been moved around the org. It's, what are you talking about? You know, like, there are competent people around the league. Like, how is Kevin Adams a general manager and Mike Gillis can't get a sniff? You know, like, you want a guy who can manage uh, high-contact owners? <laughs> you want a guy with a demonstrated record of winning in a different way in a challenging market? Like, what are, you, what are they doing? I just, you know what? It... It's baffling. And there are circumstances around the league. Like, I look at Bob Murray's comments about Dallas Akins, for example, right? 
And I think I don't understand how owners tolerate this. When you see things like Buffalo and when you see things like Ottawa, it's just like, oh, that's why. <laughs> because clearly some problems go well above the executive suite. Well, things certainly stink in Buffalo, but you know what doesn't stink? This podcast, as always, we say best smelling <laughs> podcast, the best smelling podcast in the hockey realm. And if you just take a moment and absorb it all in, um, you know, we don't say this lightly. Like, we try to have some fun with it, but at the same time, you got to smell good. Like, it's good for your <laughs> self confidence, it's important. You know, you walk into a room, you want people to take notice. And here's what you can do to make that help or to make that happen. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. Use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code ATHLETIC and you get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.ca. You don't want to smell like the Buffalo Sabres. Not at all. Not even, you brought the Ottawa Senators into the conversation. Don't want to smell like them either, but you want to smell like Hawthorne. Yeah, so check it out, hawthorne.co, and use Athletic to get 10% off your first purchase. Now, I, I love that we spent 15 minutes just killing the Sabres. That's tremendous stuff. That's what you're looking we, for on a, on a Vancouver podcast. <laughs> well, it's an expansion podcast. At least we set out to do an expansion podcast. The Sabres are the Canucks expansion yes, cousin. You're right. It actually does come full circle. I like that. Good segue. Because yeah. Because... As I pointed out earlier, you've written not one, but two items that are up. I don't know. Are there, is there more to come on this series? or No, no, no. I think okay. I'm done. All right. I think I've said my piece. <laughs> no, and you did. And, and lots to think about there. And, and you got into some, you know, a lot of the details. And then eh, kind of a creative way that the Canucks can attack that. I don't know if it's a conundrum, but the goaltending issue, obviously, with Jacob Markstrom needing his new mm-hmm. contract. But, you know, there were a couple of things to take away from your pieces for me and hopefully for readers as well. One is that, you know, you think of expansion and immediately think, all right, what are they going to lose? What are the Canucks going to lose? What are these other teams going to lose? Um, but this can be an opportunity as well. And I, I'm saying for the Vancouver Canucks, not just for expansion Seattle, there's a real opportunity in the next year for the Vancouver Canucks to attack some of their areas of weakness if they get creative, if Jim Benning and his management group can be shrewd, and and that's an if, because we've been down this road before where opportunities have presented themselves, weaponizing cap space, things like that, that you know they really haven't taken full advantage of, but they may get another opportunity as we work our way closer to that Seattle expansion draft. We'll get into that in a sec. I just want to sort of lay out the ground rules, because I think people are still a little bit unclear. I mean, the rules are exactly the same as they were for Vegas except that Vegas won't be a part of this. So Seattle's going to get to pluck a player from every existing team except Vegas. Vegas doesn't share in the expansion fee, and Vegas doesn't get impacted by the expansion <laughs> draft. So And and Vegas is going to clean up as a clearinghouse, right? Yeah. Like, w- watch yep. for Vegas to essentially get a second asset harvest out of this, especially with how shrewd and ruthless George McPhee is. It's important to remember, Tudrancer, that you know Seattle can't just take 30 players randomly. There are some rules to the way Seattle has to operate. 14 forwards, 9 defensemen, and 3 goalies among their 30 selections. So you know there's a method to their madness as well. They can't just take 30 forwards and then try to start peddling them around. And um, So 14 forwards, 9 defensemen, 3 goalies, and then 
you know, whatever else they want to do to bring that number up to 30. And for the Canucks and all the other teams, again, there's the two options. There's seven forwards, three defense, and one goaltender that you can protect, or you can do the eight skaters and one goalie. Most teams going that seven, three, and one route. Now, as you looked at it the other day, I mean, the the forwards, they fall into line pretty quickly. Like, it doesn't take an awful lot to figure out what the Vancouver Canucks are going to do at the forward position as far as protection of players. It really isn't. You, you know, Louis Erickson uh, will not have an NMC that matters. Michael Furlan's NMC is written in such a way that he can be exposed since it becomes a modified no trade. So click Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, of course. And that leaves you with, by the time you get to it, you know, to Tyler Toffoli, I suppose, if they re-sign him, right? Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Right off the bat, you have five guys that are in with a bullet for the protected list. And you can... Lock them in. Lock them in. And you can protect two additional. So, you know, are you looking at... Well, you're definitely looking at Adam Gaudet. So I think Adam Gaudet is the first... Of the two additional picks. I, I, I mean, just based on where he's been, the fact that he's going to still be a cost-controlled 40-point player with, you know, three UFA years or three RFA years remaining to restrain his cap hit. Uh, too valuable as a piece, not just as a contributor to the team itself, but as a, as a potential trade chip. Adam Gaudet, I think, is the sixth guy. And that means, depending on how things play out here, uh, you're going to face some difficult decisions you know if Tanner Pearson is extended and that's going to be tough to do with Hughes and Pedersen needing extensions but nonetheless if Tanner Pearson's extended uh, I wonder if he's a consideration what if Michael Furland bounces back is healthy through a playoff run and, and has a productive season next year certainly you'd think that he'd be a consideration Josh Levo if Josh Levo signs again with the Canucks and performs as well as he did prior to that devastating, you know, kneecap fracture that he sustained in December, eh, you know, he's still only 27. Like he's going to be an interesting sort of option as well. And that brings us to Jake Vertanen, who I think is clearly at the moment anyway, the guy you'd lean toward protecting based on the value of that he has. But even in that scenario, we're still talking about guys being exposed, including Zach McEwen, who Jim Benning has described as an NHLer now and who played very well down the stretch for the Canucks. Cole Lind, who's a top five prospect for the organization. And, you know, anyone else that's added via trade or free agency, you know, because this whole concept is built around player volume, you know, they'll be a consideration too. They will either bump someone like Gaudette or maybe Jake off the list or there'll be a player who will be exposed following their acquisition. So that's sort of why this has got to be top of mind, not just for the Canucks, but for every organization. Once this 2019-20 season ends, the next cycle, every sort of move, transaction, waiver claim made complicates and changes sort of what a project protected list will look like and and that's why it's going to be so fascinating to watch how it influences uh decisions made by nhl front offices across the league right and a guy like antoine roussel didn't even come up there but you know if nope. seattle was looking for a veteran presence 
you know, and a, a culture carrier and a guy that's good in the room and those types of things to start up a franchise. Like, you know, he could be attractive, I suppose, uh, depending on the kind of season that, that he has next year as well. Look, three years ago when Vegas selected from the Canucks, I mean, the the, the big decision was, you know, Spezer or Gaunt. And, like, people in Vancouver were freaking out about Spezer or Gaunt. Like, it's right. clear the development of the hockey club, the prospect pool, the players that they've acquired – you know, yeah. they're, a, they're a far better, they're a better franchise. Team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's one way to measure is that there are going to be good players that are going to be available to Seattle off the Vancouver roster. I mean, we're just talking about the forwards there. We haven't even got to goalies, but let's move to defense because defense is interesting. And when I said there might be an opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks, that's the position I look at. Like we've spent tons of podcasts talking about biggest area of need for the Canucks is improving the defense. There may be ways with the expansion as a backdrop that Jim Benning can identify teams that are in a pinch that, you know, don't want to lose a good defenseman for nothing that may be looking for a trade partner. And that's where the Canucks have to, you know, wave their hand. Uh, we're over here and we're open for business. Yeah. Well, you look at what other teams around the league are going to be looking at in terms of their, like, let's pick the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think anyone looks at the Toronto Maple Leafs and says, that's a good defense, Right. But as it stands, and this is just guys who will either be RFAs or are signed through the 2020-21-21 season, you know, and this team's obviously going to be choosing a 7-3-1 protection structure. Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, Travis Dermott, Justin Hole are all good players. They can't protect them all. all There's right. a team that yep. might have an incentive to move them. You, you talk about Tampa Bay. Victor Hedman's on an NMC. Ryan McDonough. Excellent player. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk's UFA, but if he's re retained. Um, but then you get to Mikhail Sergeyev, who will be an RFA then. You get to Cal Foote, who's going to be eligible to be included in expansion. You get to Eric Cernak, who is extraordinarily valuable. I mean, you know, they might be exposing two really good defensemen. Uh, St. Louis, right? St. Louis, Vince Dunn, Alex Pietrangelo, Colton Pareko, Justin Falk. I mean, th four guys who would be immediately the Canucks' second best defender. And on and on down the list you go, right? Like, there are so many teams that are going to be or find themselves in similar circumstances. Even teams like the Maple Leafs, who no one looks at as having a significantly deep defense. So... In a world where teams are interested in rearranging deck chairs to make sure they don't lose quality, valuable NHL blue line assets for nothing to the new expansion franchise, there is an opportunity to potentially exercise some arbitrage and get some value uh, from these teams in exchange for, whether it's a goaltender or a forward, areas where the Canucks have maybe not redundancies, but some surplus. And this is something where, you know, I think even before the 2020-21 season begins, but certainly during it and absolutely toward the later stages of the cycle, the Canucks can leverage the fact that Quinn Hughes is ineligible and you have to work. Like, you have to work to find three defensemen that the Canucks would lose any sleep over leaving unprotected in expansion. It's a bad thing because you'd rather the Canucks have you know, be in St. Louis's situation and have just a abundance through the roof of blue line assets. But, you know, it's a negative that can be turned into a positive for the organization in the context of offering a direct avenue to improve their hockey club. 
Yeah, and when I think of all of that, I think, too, like, you know, with some foresight, the Canucks probably should have been trying to stockpile some higher draft picks. I mean, yeah, they did what they did, and the Miller trade worked out, so the first rounder out the door. But for a lot of these teams, you know, if you identify teams that are going to have to move players and want to recapture an asset instead of losing them to Seattle— you know, they probably don't want another player that they have to protect in that moment, right? Like, these are stacked teams that they might want to trade in the currency of draft picks so that they don't have to worry about running into uh, protection problems. And yet, you look at the Canucks, and, you know, we'll get to goaltending here in a sec because one of the ways around the goaltending would be to throw a sweetener to Seattle uh, to avoid picking Thatcher Demko, but the Canucks are running out of sweeteners. I mean, let's be honest, uh, the Tyler Madden deal, JT Miller... Uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, if they had to move Louis Erickson or Brandon Sutter or Sven Berchi, Jordy Ben, like, you know, those trades probably require a sweetener as well. Uh, at some point, you're not going to have a lot of sweeteners left. And this might be an opportunity. <laughs> no, this might have been an opportunity where, you know, having a you're full right. cupboard of draft picks would have really worked in the Vancouver Canucks favor. Yeah, where you really need some stevia or, or sweet and low. Uh, yes. No question. No question. Like, if the Canucks had an abundance of draft picks, they'd be even better positioned here. But I, I do still think with the way the protect, protection list is likely to unfold that, you know, they're going to have an edge in terms of in terms of the lack of, you know, urgent slots that you need on the blue line. Like that's going to be a huge edge in a league where there's just very few teams in that kind of circumstance. And you know, that's something that can work to their advantage, but you're right. The margins are finer than they might need to be if the Canucks were, you know, more loaded in terms of, you know, the stores of future draft picks and, and, and other sort of assets to throw in there. Just walk the listeners through why Quinn Hughes is exempt from protection. Quinn Hughes, because by virtue of appearing in fewer than five games toward the end of the 2018-19 season, Quinn Hughes did not accrue a season. So at the conclusion of the 2020-21 season, two things will result. One, he will have that weirdo 10.2C status, meaning that he has no right to sign an offer sheet, something that might matter a lot for the Canucks based on where their cap situation is likely to be. And two, he's exempt from the expansion process, as is Nils Hoglander, as is Jet Wu, as would be, I believe, uh, Nikita Triamkin, although I need to confirm that before I say it with absolute certainty. But Brogan Rafferty, who only played those two games and then played this year in Utica, he would need to be required, he would require protection? Uh, he would require protection. I believe that's an age thing. Ah, Yes, that makes sense, I guess, considerably older than a guy like Quinn Hughes. All right, so you devoted an entire uh, separate article to the goaltending situation, which in Vancouver, of course, the goaltending situation is convoluted and complicated uh, because Jacob Markstrom needs a new contract, and you can say, yeah, that's fine, but, you know, we're talking about Thatcher Demko as the guy that might be on the move, but, you know, they are absolutely linked. I mean, they're linked as a tandem for the Vancouver Canucks right now, but... Uh, the Markstrom deal will have a direct impact on Thatcher Demko's future. And you got a little creative in ways that they could structure the Markstrom deal that might make Seattle, you know, pause at the very least if they thought twice. that Markstrom, yeah, if Markstrom was 
uh, a guy that they were interested in. Yeah, and you know, it's along the same lines of like the Shea Weber offer sheet or the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet. Like, can you structure a contract? And I talked about this with Skinner, the the language, the unspoken language of, of player contracts. Can you structure a Markstrom extension to be toxic from the point of view of an expansion franchise? And the answer is you can. And I didn't even get into the most extreme example, which I'll get into with you, but Essentially what I'm calling for or suggesting, and this is just a thought exercise, right? Like this is, I'm trying to be realistic, but it's a thought exercise at the end of the day. So I've designed a four-year contract for Jacob Markstrom with a 5.6 AAV. It's got a $4.2 million signing bonus in year one and goes up to $8 million in salary. So you can only deviate year over year by 35% of total value in terms of the NHL's variability rules, which govern standard player contracts. So 5.2 is 35% of $8 million. That means that Central Registry shouldn't re- reject this contract should we try to file it. But the $8 million salary year would include $7 million in signing bonus. So that's a significant lump sum payment that a Vegas team selecting a 31-year-old goaltender in expansion who may turn 32 before ever playing a game for their team, depending on you know what the schedule looks like for the 2022-23 season, uh, a bet I don't want to make with any certainty based on where we're at in the world with no, the novel coronavirus, you would have you know a $7 million or 7 million reasons to make Seattle a little bit hesitant about taking Markstrom in expansion. And look, if Markstrom plays the way he did this past season, Seattle may well end up looking at that and thinking it's a pittance. Like, whatever. $7 million, he's the best goaltender on the market. Let's take him. But it's not even necessarily about exposing Markstrom, which I, I think the Canucks will not do. Like, I think they'd be extraordinarily reluctant to do anyway. It's more about creating a perception on the market that the Canucks have the option to expose either goaltender. And I think the only way you can do that is by structuring Markstrom's deal in such a way that other teams think it's credible that, you know, in fact, you might expose Markstrom and and trust that Vegas may not claim him. Now, the other wrinkle here, and I, I heard from a capologist who checked with the league on this the last time around in expansion. And they checked with the league about whether or not they could do a contract where the signing bonus, so take this this proposed Markstrom structure, but this would hypothetically be legal, according to Central Registry. If you did the Markstrom deal and you had the $4.2 million signing bonus in 2020-2021, you could theoretically set that $4.2 million to be paid the last day of the league year and set the signing bonus for the 2021-22 season to be paid the first day of the league year, in which case, instead of it being a $7 million lump sum payment, you could technically set it up to be an $11.2 million lump sum payment over two days. Uh, That would make things even rockier, I think, you know, especially with a $6 million expansion fee come due and on and on. Uh, There are ways to get even more ridiculous in terms of creating a radioactive contract that the expansion franchise would look at uh, and, at the very least, side-eye. I like that, though. I want to believe that the Vancouver Canucks 
would use every tool available to them to get creative. I mean, I think that's been the knock on this management group is there hasn't been a ton of creativity uh, when it comes to contracts. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, big numbers, too many big numbers uh, to players that haven't produced. But when it comes to actually, you know, using the CBA and using all of the, the various angles to their uh, favor, I, I think that those are things that they probably have to look at. And so, look, they've had a lot of time here uh, with no games to play. I, like, I would think that they've probably looked long and hard at different ways to structure a Jacob Markstrom contract. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if it goes that way. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, like, oh, the Canucks should, you know, leave Markstrom exposed and, and go with Demko. You know, maybe you're losing two years of Markstrom where you'd be getting eight years of Thatcher Demko. But people have to remember those two years of Jacob Markstrom might just line up with, you know, the two best years that the Vancouver Canucks have to take a legitimate run at a Stanley Cup, given where their players are, the core that they've got, the play of Markstrom and those types of things. So I don't think you can just completely discount that, oh, you might be getting, you know, years 32 and 33 of Jacob Markstrom, he may still be able to deliver at a very, very high level at that point. In fact, better than Thatcher Demko, who, look, I'm still high on Thatcher Demko. Like, I I see all the signs that Thatcher Demko is going to continue to develop. But this idea of two years against eight, you got to consider which two years those might be for a guy like Jacob Markstrom. And, you know, you think about how Travis Green talks about Markstrom and talked about Markstrom on this program a couple months back, right? Like, his guy. He's his guy. And, you know, there's – I don't think he's just Travis Green's guy. I think he's the players, the skaters in that room's guy. And that matters a ton. Uh, You know, Markstrom, for a variety of reasons, and goaltenders in general, for a variety of reasons, have a different aging curve than skaters. You know, a a 30-year-old checking forward is a lot different from a 30-year-old goaltender. Markstrom's been a workhorse starter for three years, but it's not like he's got – you know, Luongo-like miles on him. And even Luongo was good into his 40s, like an above-average starter in his 40s. So, you know, Markstrom, I think, is not a guy that I'd be worried about signing to a four- or five-year deal, to be perfectly honest, just based on what we've seen from him, his development technically, the, you know, sustainability. Like, there are guys who play a style that goalie coaches and goalie people look at and say, ooh, like, I don't know if he's going to be able to play like that for years and years and years. Uh, Corey Schneider was one of those guys. John Gibson's one of those guys. Uh, Markstrom's not one of those guys. Markstrom is efficient in his movements. I think he takes good care of himself. I think he's a pro's pro. And, you know, not a guy that I'd have a, a lot of red flags about signing to a you know, to an eight-year deal, sure. I'd have concerns with that because I don't like term for goalies anyway. But a five-year deal, a four-year deal, uh, that's not something that's keeping me up at night anyway were I in the Canucks' shoes. Well, it was a great one-two punch. Uh, Both articles are posted at The Athletic now, so if people haven't seen them, they can check those out. And again, it's never too early to start thinking about all of the permutations of expansion and how they impact the individual club teams that are currently in the National Hockey League and of course the Canucks going to have some of those difficult decisions to make here moving forward all right as we wrap things up as we like to do at the tail end of uh, every VanCast it's our little game show called Name That Canuck and uh, you are the game show host today I am and I'm starting with an expansion related clue the answer and I'll give you a hint it's not John Van Beesbrook um (laughs) The short-lived Canuck. All right. 
I'm worried that you're going to get this right off the bat, but we'll see. We say that every Cl- time, and then we end up, like, scraping I for know. bonus clues at the end. All right. I know. So, the three-pointer. You ready? Oh, yeah. In the, in the 1972 expansion draft, oh, this no. player was left unprotected and was selected by one of the two expansion franchises that entered the league that season. Um, uh, Pat Quinn. I knew you'd get it right off the bat. I should have start. I should have started with the two pointer. The two pointer is this skater is the brother of a professional wrestler who wrestled under the name the Kentucky Butcher in the WWF. Would you have got that? No, not at all. Oh, I should have started with that. Damn it! <laughs> Can't go ah! back. No, I know. Can't Good job. Go back. Nice, nice three pointer, Steph Curry. All right. I was long overdue. <laughs> well th- played, sir. I had thrown up a few, more than a few bricks here of late, so I was due. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, June is ALS Awareness Month, and I think a lot of hockey fans know Chris Snow, the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames, in the fight of his life uh, with ALS, the dreaded disease. Uh, but he looks like he's battling as hard as he can, and I know everybody's coming to his aid, the hockey uh, community certainly is uh, rallying around him. Chris Snow is on the full 60 with Craig Custance this week at The Athletic, so uh, you might want to check that out as uh, we tell you about other podcasts here at The Athletic. And, of course, check out our comments section for each podcast episode, The Athletic app. We want to hear from you, suggestions, feedback, comments, uh, whatever it is. Uh, you want to carry on the discussion, let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Radio Friday morning together, the VanCast takes to the airwaves, and then uh, we'll have a separate podcast uh, if we're still on speaking terms. Yep, which I I'm think sure we will. I'm sure. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. And, uh, right. and fa- so far, we'll let also let Farhan know to schedule his run for 6 to 10 a.m. on Friday so that he can listen to the whole thing while working out. He'll get lots of exercise so that he's ready to pepper and ask the hard questions of John Horgan and Adrian Dix and, and Dr. Bonnie Henry. And sorry for speaking too much on this one, Farhan. I hope you've worked up a good sweat. Uh, he's doing a word count as we speak, and, and <laughs> that would be good for him. A four-hour run from 6 to 10 on Friday morning. It would do Farhan well. Uh, for Drancer, it's J-Pat as always. Thanks so much for listening to the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.